All right, so today is part four of our series called Second Nature, and what we've been doing over the last couple weeks is we've been looking at the things that Jesus says should become second nature to us, things that you don't even really have to stop and think about. It's just become a part of who you are. And we looked at this incredible portion of Scripture where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has a couple phrases that he says, when you do this, not if you do this. And so we looked at when you give, and then he explained how to do it. And, and then when you pray, and here's how you do it. When you fast, then how to do it. Not if, but, but when. Today we're going to look at when you worship. Because Jesus wants you to worship. He doesn't want it to be an optional. It's not an if you decide to worship. It's a when you worship. And how do you do that? What should that look like? Now, last week as we were talking about Jesus and, and, and fasting and that we should fast, and by the way, thank you. I know many of you participated in our fast this past Wednesday. And again, don't forget this Wednesday we're going to do it again. And this week it's all about just Nico coming in next week and Easter that's coming up. So we got two big weekends in a row. And so we're going to pray that God would just start to, to stir the hearts and the lives of the people here in the Harrisburg community, that they'd be open to your invites to come out and participate and that Jesus would change their lives. Uh, but as Jesus was out in the desert and he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, if you remember, we looked at it, that at the end, the, the devil comes and starts to tempt him. He's like, you're hungry, aren't you? And there's these three different temptations. Now, the third temptation that Satan throws Jesus' way looks like this. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Matthew writes this, Finally, the devil took Jesus up onto a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms on earth and their power. And the devil said to him, I will give all this to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus answered, Go away, Satan. The scriptures say you are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want you to notice here that Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 Satan, you need to bow down and worship me. Now, could have Jesus said that? Could he have said that? Yeah, he has the right to do it. He is God himself. But keep in mind that part of the reason that Jesus came to the earth was to model to you and I what a relationship with God should look like. And so he sets aside his divinity here for a second, and he says, no, Satan, we are to worship the Lord our God, and we are to serve him only. It's all about him. And so Jesus is giving us a model of the Son worshiping the Father. And if Jesus knows that he needs to worship the Father, how much more should you and I need to worship our Heavenly Father? So again, Jesus is this model of how we should worship. Now, I love something that the pastor and author John Piper has written about this topic of Jesus sort of modeling this for us. I'm just going to read it to you because he says it much better than I ever could. So he writes this. He says, suppose you were a kid playing in the streets outside of the mansion of the king, and the king's own son comes out and starts to play with you. After a while, he invites you to come home with him and meet his father. At first, you decline in fear. I, I'm just a peasant. I, I don't have a noble name, and my clothes are all dirty. I'm not fit to visit the king. But the king's son just smiles and says, that's okay. You're my friend. He won't mind. So you follow the son of the king through a huge gate. Your heart is beating so hard that you can actually see it moving in your shirt. And it occurs to you that you've never met a king before, and you have no idea how to approach him. But the happy stride of your friend, the king's son, puts you at ease and you remind yourself that the king is his father. 
They no doubt have a wonderful relationship. Everything will surely be all right. By the time you reach the king's chamber, you're almost feeling at ease, and then something utterly unexpected happens. As the son knocks at the chamber door and hears the deep welcome from the other side, his whole demeanor changes. His gaiety turns to gravity. Not grief or sadness, just gravity. Like something weighty is about to happen. And the change isn't artificial, like when an actor is joking behind stage and then quickly puts on a new face to go onto the stage and be sad. No, that change, or this change, wasn't like that at all. It was more like when a mountain climbing team is driving toward the mountain that they aim the scale. They're joking and laughing about former good times, and then all of a sudden they round a curve, and for the first time they see the massive face of the mountain. And inside the car, there's a silence as they drive on and they stare. The laughter wasn't phony. It was real and good. And the silence and all in the car isn't phony either. It is real, and it is good as well. The son puts his hand on the long door handle of the king's chamber and opens the door. His face meets the king's in the most natural manner and then kneels and puts both knees and then face on the floor of the king's chamber. And then he waits. It didn't take any great chain of reasoning for you to know exactly what you must do. You had never read it in a book. Your mother had never told you. But you knew if the son of the king bows before his father in holy silence, this peasant child better get on his face before the king as well. The point, of course, being that if Jesus the Son knows that he must worship the Father, then we must worship the Father as well. Again, this is not a if you worship. This is a when you worship. It's not optional. Worship is not optional. But that brings up the question, what is worship? There's a, a lot of different definitions that people have. And a lot of people are confused about worship. And so today, we're going to mix things up a little bit to, to share with you what worship is. And we're actually going to preach this as a team. And we're going to have a chance to participate through music. You know, music is a, a vital part of worship. But it's more than just that. But I'm going to ask Allison actually to come forward at this time. And she's going to share why the, the music portion is such an important thing. So she doesn't get an opportunity to do this a lot, so can you make her feel very welcome? We're all for you, Allison, here. You're going to do great. Share with us what God has placed on your heart. Well, thanks, Gilbert, and thank you all. This is uh, definitely a little bit out of my comfort zone. Um, I don't know why, because I have no problem being up here to sing, but it's just very different to speak. Um, I, I need a professional speech writer, like, you know, the president has maybe, but... Um, so if, you know, if you'll uh, indulge me a little bit, I'm probably going to read a little bit more than I would speaking. Um, but thanks, Gilbert, for that background and the illustration. I'm just going to dive right in and t pick up where he left off and, and talk about what is worship. Think about it for a minute, just in your own mind. How would you define that? Just to give you an idea, um, let's pull back a minute, because it's easy, actually, for all of us to worship something that we really appreciate or are infatuated with or something that's very fascinating. Um, maybe it was for you that cute guy or girl in high school. 
Um, maybe it's a movie star or um, an athlete. Maybe it's the whole sport of football. I don't know. You, maybe it's food. <laughs> the things that you are constantly thinking about and you're gathering pictures and posting them on Facebook or Instagram. You're just talking to people constantly about that person or that thing, right? Um, as if it were a contest to be won, that you just want to share, 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 and you need to know this about so-and-so. But one thing that's really interesting is we never really expect to hear back from that person or that thing. Like, I wouldn't expect Sandra Bullock to, uh, you know, talk to, to ring me on the phone and say, hey, let's chat. No, I'm just picking somebody as an actress, right? <laughs> she's not my favorite, but she's one of them. <laughs> um, ultimately, we don't expect the sort of love, equal love relationship to come from that person or that uh, thing. But let's change gears. True worship, and if you're taking notes, we, I do have a couple of points here for you um, and in your program or on your app. True worship is a focus solely on God, on who he is, what he said, and what he's done or is doing. First of all, worship is basically acknowledging that God exists. He's present and he's constantly working things together for good because he loves us. And second, it's giving God glory, honor, reverence, wonder. It has nothing to do with me or with you and it definitely doesn't really have anything to do with how we feel. We just worship him because he is. And that easily flows then into praise. It's natural, once we start acknowledging who God is, to say, God, we thank you. You're amazing. We have this sense of adoration, of admiration that just goes so deep, and, and respect. I mean, Gilbert shared that example. How often are we kneeling, physically kneeling before God and saying, I thank you, God. I don't deserve this, but yet you do this for me. Worship comes first. It's simply being in awe of a mighty God who has created the universe and everything in it, including us. And once our hearts are set on that greatness and goodness, then we can bring before him our needs, our wants, our desires. We're in a much better position to do that. And when we take our eyes off of ourselves for a few minutes and then refocus back on him, our problems don't seem as big anymore, do they? What's really amazing, what God is so good about doing, is that we actually benefit from starting with worshiping him. When we're not thinking about the me, myself, and I aspect, and taking that and turning it back to him through prayer. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Through song, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, and through physical action, whether that actually is bowing or maybe it's serving. He loves to hear from us, and he sees to the depths of our hearts. It's what connects us to him. So those gifts and benefits I was talking about, things that maybe we crave, right, why we love these worship experiences, is because God brings us the peace. He brings us restoration and healing, renewal. He allows us to quiet all the noise going on. And it's also a sense of spiritual protection because we're speaking out words of truth 
And finally, it's a sense of ensuring purity and humility and devotion. It's reconnecting us to God. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about music, because that's actually what my task was for this morning. <laughs> um, music is just one expression of worship. It helps us say, God, you're worthy of all of our praises. And if you would, turn in your Bibles or the app, or you can look up here on the screen, to Mark 12, 29 through 31. And let's see what Jesus said is the greatest command. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I want to just break that down a little bit. How does music then relate to this? Well, music comes from our heart, basically the depths, the seat of our emotion and our thought process, and it speaks to our soul. We all know that music is an international language. It doesn't matter if I'm listening to K-pop with my daughters <laughs> or country. <laughs> I can still be moved by that. Um, it helps people to communicate beyond simple words. And it adds a layer, whether we're you know, tapping, clapping, or moving fast, jumping up and down, or we're simply swaying because we feel it in the depths of our soul. But I want to say it's not an emotional encounter. We shouldn't be wanting to worship God just because it's that emotional high that we get. But the Holy Spirit is so good, he's so good to stir in us passion, compassion, even conviction in our times of worship through music. The key is to be genuine, even in our feelings, right? Like if we come to God and we're just worshiping and singing the words, dancing, clapping, and it's kind of just put on because everybody else is doing it, that's not genuine. And God sees that. He sees past the outward appearance in our words and looks right to our heart. The other thing is he's always with us. We don't need to conjure God up. We invite him, right, in our worship. We're asking him to be present with us as a corporate body or in that moment when we're alone. But Rick Warren says it this way in Purpose Driven. We don't praise God to feel good, but to do good. Our goal is not a feeling, but a continual awareness of the reality that God is always present. All right, so that's heart and soul, and I won't play it for you on the keyboard here right now, although Bill and I would do a good job maybe. <laughs> um, but music with our minds, why, why, how can we worship God with all of our mind? Well, we all know that music helps us remember. We can far better recite songs. I mean, think about, for those of you who grew up in, um, with the oldies, right? You could probably sing a Beach Boys song pretty easily. <laughs> Even I could, because my dad always played it. Um, but here, in, in our worship experiences, or when you have it on the radio, it helps us remember words of truth. helps us to meditate on God's promises because it's over and over and over our mind. We're literally like chewing on it in our brain. <laughs> and if you notice, maybe you don't, I would certainly invite you to do this, but um, when we're planning music, it helps to be incorporated with the preached word of God. So 
And here, you know, with Gilbert, we meet as a team and we talk through what are the themes, what are the scriptural focus points that we can then incorporate music that reflects that same principle or truth so that when you guys and when we walk out of here, those things are going over and over in our minds. That repetition. I want to say that while we have a lot of fun doing music, whether here on stage or in, as a part of the body anywhere, it's not entertainment. I mean, yeah, God lets us be creative and have lights and haze and all that fun stuff because he's the creator, right? So he gets that. Like, we want to emulate who he is and just have fun and abandon ourselves to all that we are to say, God, we love you. And we're so excited that we get to do this with you and for you. So really, it should be more of a byproduct of our worship that we're coming to him like a little child and just saying, here I am, God. I'm here to worship you today. We have a lot of examples in the Bible. I don't know if you've read through the Psalms before, but David, definitely a great example of singing and playing with abandon. And we have a lot of creative artists today who do the same and inspire us. All right, so heart, soul, mind, how about strength? How do we demonstrate worship with all of our strength? Well, that's easy. <laughs> that's the singing, that's the shouting, that's the clapping, that's the dancing, that's the swaying. But is it really easy? I totally get it, right? We were busy. Maybe we're hungry, <laughs> thinking about lunch already. Or um, maybe we're just tired and we are literally dragging ourselves out of bed to worship God. So worship itself is a sacrifice and music is the sacrifice of praise. It's saying, here God, I'm doing this, even if I don't feel like it physically today, but I'm gonna give you all my strength that I have. So what about the second part, the love your neighbor? How could we translate that? Well, music is easily shared. We love to say, hey, I heard this song. Did you hear it? Or maybe you sing it. I don't know if your life is a Broadway musical. Um, for my family, it is sometimes. <laughs> I sing a musical. Um, okay, but <laughs> we get to help open the door for people when we sing. It, it just puts people at ease, helps them enter in to that moment of celebration or reflection. Sometimes it's a call to worship, so to speak, if, you, if you've been in church for a long time. Literally is somebody saying it out loud and then helping people come along with them. Just another quick scripture here from Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. Act like people with good sense and not like fools. These are evil times, so make every moment count. Don't be stupid. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. Don't destroy yourself by getting drunk, but let the Spirit fill your life. Not just a moment of worship, but your life. When you meet together, sing. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as you praise the Lord with all your heart. How much? All. Always use the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to thank God the Father for everything. 
primarily we have this vertical view of worship where we think we're, we are solely talking to God, asking of God, thanking God. And that's, that's the part that helps us close our eyes and be in that moment or we lift our hands. And, and that's great. That's, that's what he wants. We, it helps kind of silence that noise that I was talking about. But did you know there's also the horizontal aspect that is ministering to one another? I don't know if you think about actually looking at each other when you're singing. We get to do it up here, and I know you kind of look at us. But I, I want to say that that's an, almost like reaching over and grabbing the hand of somebody or putting your hand on their back or just the eye contact of, hey, guys, we're the body of Christ. We, we need to worship God together. It's not just about me. I'm not all alone on the sidelines. We can do this together, right? And that helps us be united in his mission on this earth to worship him first. So let's just continue to experience what it means to worship in song and really think about the lyrics. We're going to sing a couple songs, so I invite you to stand with us right now. And, and look at the lyrics and just realize the pieces that are talking directly to God and the parts that are then starting to talk about corporate. We are here to worship our King. As we continue this journey together about what is worship, uh, I'd just like to take a, just a few minutes and just share with you um, not so much new thoughts, but just to kind of take you through my own journey and just to share with you what worship looks like in my life. Now, often you're, you're here with me this morning and you see me up here and I'm singing songs and leading worship in this capacity. But, uh, you know, what I hope I, I uh, talk to you about today is that this is only a small slice uh, of what worship is for me. And in, and in fact, if, if all the other stuff that I consider worship would go away, and this is the only thing I did, uh, I hope you would see the inauthenticity of that and the vanity of that. Um, because quite frankly, my worship has to be so much more than that than what we do here on Sunday morning. And so I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey very quickly, uh, just kind of almost as a testimony at some level. But uh, hopefully as I talk about my own journey, maybe you'll find points that uh, you relate to. Uh, and, and maybe you say, oh, I've kind of been there before. And uh, hopefully that speaks to you. And, and maybe as I talk about how I've grown, maybe that'll give you some next steps to take as well as about how you also can grow in your relationship with God in the way of worship. And so my journey actually begins when I was a kid. And as a kid, I actually always loved to sing. Music was just kind of always in my blood, if you will. God wired me that way. That's one of the spiritual gifts he kind of really wired into my life from an early age. So I loved to sing. Now, my parents didn't go to church, really, at the time. They went to Christmas and Easter. Uh, it's typical of a lot of Americans, quite frankly. And uh, that's, that's fine for what it was at the time. But uh, my grandmother went to church consistently every single week. And uh, so... Uh, I, I like to sing, and so I went to a, a more traditional church. We sang hymns with the organ and the piano, and maybe some of you have had that past before, and you know uh, what that's like. Um, a lot of uh, kids find that really boring, right, because they find the sermon boring, they find the hymns boring, but I like to sing. So I actually really liked going to church, not for the sermon, but I like to go to church for the singing. And so even though some of the hymns were really confusing, like what on earth are bringing in the sheaves? I have no idea, Okay. So, but nonetheless, I liked to sing. And by the time I was in fourth grade, I was starting to learn piano, so that then I could read music. And that was even more exciting than I could actually read the notes in the hymnal and uh, really began to sing along. But you see, worship for me at the time was an event. It was, I go to church to have worship. 
And I think a lot of us have had that definition. Maybe that's kind of your current definition. And if that is, that's okay. It's a place we start uh, in our Christian journey is, is we go to worship services, as we would call them. And maybe worship includes the music and the sermon, maybe some prayer time. And that's where my journey really started. But if I'm really honest about the beginning of my journey, notice I didn't say I like to sing hymns because I like to praise God. I said I like to sing hymns because I like to sing. You see, even at an early age, when I was singing, it was really about me having a fun time doing it. And I really didn't understand some of the hymns at the time, because sometimes hymns actually have some very complicated theological wor wording. Some of them are very beautiful in poetry, so I'm not knocking hymns by any means in that regard. But to, as a kid, it's totally lost. But I liked the singing, and it was really just about me. So fast forward a little bit, and uh, I'm now uh, a junior in high school, I believe. And uh, we're part of the Churches of God denomination. As, as a denomination, we have a camp uh, just out in Newville, not far from here, called Camp Uligua. And they have an excellent youth camp program. If you have any teenagers, you are a teenager, I really encourage you to go to Camp Uligua if you haven't done so. But one of the neat things about Camp Uligua and their youth camp program is they actually have a full worship band that plays the whole week. And so uh, for me, I had just grown up with some hymns and, and maybe some praise choruses played to piano and organ. And so I walk into camp, and that's your Sunday night. The whole band's on stage. They got the bass guitar and the electric guitar and the keyboard and the drums. The whole works. A little bit of lights. Not fancy video projector. We were still on the overhead projector with the transparencies. Everyone remember that from those days? You had to push the paper forward to block the words? Yep, yep, that was it. So not quite that high tech. Right? But uh, I just remember there being Sunday night, and this band launches up, and they're singing new songs. Uh, In the Secret was one of them at the time. I know, God, I want to know you. I want to know you more. What powerful words at that time. Uh, especially for teenagers, and I'm looking around uh, at this moment, because this is very foreign to me. I've never experienced anything like this. And there, there are teenagers with their arms up in the air and their eyes closed, and they are just really lost in the moment. And I'm looking around me and thinking, wow, this is weird. <laughs> it really was. It was very awkward. But, but honestly, by the end of the week, though, the words of those songs and the authenticity of, of the band leading worship and even those uh, other teenagers around me just seeking and wanting and desiring God began to infect my own heart. So by the end of the week, I was there with them being the weirdo uh, with my arms in the air. Uh, and, and really, that took a lot, quite frankly, because it takes a lot of, uh, it's a lot of self-pride, which sometimes holds us back from worshiping God in the way we should. So maybe that's maybe a first point I want to make just randomly. I wasn't intending to make that point. But uh, just think about the way that pride might hold you back from worshiping God in the most authentic way possible. So anyway, my worship journey quickly, I'm going to quickly continue because I only have 10 minutes, not 40. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, at that time, I really at that moment in that week felt the heavy presence of God for the first time. And in fact, that whole uh, worship moment, one of those, I can't remember which night it was, completely changed my relationship with God. So God used, the, as, as Allison kind of talked to about the, the, the emotional effect, the depth of music to really begin to change my life. But here's the problem, the pitfall that I ran into, because after I went to college, I found a church that did contemporary music in a very, very similar way. In fact, half the band that was at camp was actually at this church I started going to. Uh, that was actually a God thing. But uh, Nonetheless, worship at that point then became more of an emotional experience uh, for me to encounter. And it really, even at that point, if I'm really honest with myself, wasn't wholly completely about me sacrificing my wants and desires to God, but more about me experiencing God for my own gain. Do you follow me there? Where worship was about getting that emotional experience. And emotionalism in worship is such a powerful tool, like I said, because it changed my life. But in the same regard, if it's that thing you're chasing, then that's, you're really not chasing after your God. You're chasing after something for yourself. 
I just want to plant that seed. So that was ne- kind of the next phase of my worship journey. Then as I went to college, I, I actually switched. I was first a business major. Then I became a Christian ministries major, started going to Messiah College, started studying theology, and really getting to God's word more and more. And it's when I came to the passages like Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I think they have that up here for you. And, and this particular verse really began to reshape my thinking about what worship really meant. What worship really meant. And it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies the living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, this is kind of an odd verse in the sense that offer your bodies the living sacrifices? What does that mean? Well, well, first we have to start with in view of God's mercy. What, what, does, what is God's mercy? Well, God's mercy is the fact that Jesus died a physical death so that we might have mercy in our time of need. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice of giving up his life. And so in view of what Jesus did and all that he gave, he gave his life for me, what can I do in return but to offer up my life as a sacrifice to him? And the scripture tells us that, that very thing is what worship actually is. So while we come here, we gather together as a body, like and Scripture tells us to do this. We're supposed to gather together uh, to worship God with one another, to, to, to share with one another, share each other's burdens. And we sing songs, but this is just such a, a fragment. You see, we probably have a problem in our lives. I think I've talked about this in previous messages I've given, where we segment our lives out. Like, this is my work role, and this is my family role, and this is my role out with my friends, and this is my role at school. And so you have these different sections of life, and in different ways you're going to have different levels of authority and different things you're going to be doing. So, of course, you're going to have a different way you act. But there's a problem we have in our culture where our spiritual life sits back here. And it's very private. And, in fact, if you were to take your Christian life and try to share it with your friends, our culture pushes back like, oh, just keep that to yourself. If you want to believe what you want to believe, that's fine. But don't you dare share that with me. Right? They want to keep that at arm's length. And the fact of the matter is the gospel, and Jesus is very clear about the fact that all of these roles, that spiritual self that we have, it might be a private faith, but it means to be publicly lived. We have a private faith, publicly lived. All right? So when I'm in my work role, what does that look like for me? Now, this, uh, here at Exponential, this is not my full-time job. I don't get paid for this. This is just something I do out of my heart for God, and I love doing it. So my actual job, I, I work for the state, and some of you probably work for the state as well. And I go and I work my, my 8 to 5 day, and that's fine. And, uh, but what does worship look like then in a regular secular job? Well, for one thing, it really involves how I treat people. And Allison touched on this with the horizontal aspect. How do you treat the people you interact with? Are you shining the light of Jesus? Are you treating them with respect and love and kindness? Even that person who really like grates on you, I have this person right now, and uh, this person is really just making work very difficult for me. Everything I do, she comes back, it's like, no, that's not right. Like, ah, come on. But you know what? I have to make a choice. Am I going to worship God? Am I going to make a living sacrifice? So instead of telling her off and giving her my words, uh, am I going to honor her and treat her with kindness and respect in spite of that? And see, that's how worship actually happens in our day-to-day lives. So believe it or not, worship isn't just the singing of the songs. It's how we're actually treating people. It's also how I go about my work. Am I doing my work as if I work for Jesus? There's a scripture which speaks exactly to that. Do I work for the man or do I work for Jesus, right? And while I work for the man in a sense, uh, scripture says, you know, when you do work, you do it with your light shining. 
so that when people see your good works, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. And that's, that's part of worship. Do you, do you encounter your work with your vigor? Same thing with school. You know, attack your school work with, with excellence if you can because it honors God. And then even in your family life, and, and here's one thing, especially as a husband and a father, biblically I have a role to be the spiritual lead in my household. And if I'm neglecting that role, I'm missing a big part of worship. And I know this is kind of awkward in our day and age to talk about, uh, you know, men taking the role in the house. I'm not talking about telling my wife how she ought to worship. What, no, that's not it at all. But it's about how I respect my wife, how I love my wife, how I live my spiritual life, how I, the, the words I use. And some, I'm not perfect. Megan will tell you. Boy, we get into it sometimes. It's not good. But it's in those moments I have to go ask for forgiveness. Think to myself, is this really a life of worship? Am I really honoring God? And so I challenge you, uh, no matter what your role is in your family, whether you're uh, just a kid in your household or whether you're the wife or the husband or, or just uh, some family member, I just, just hope that uh, even in that, you're finding what worship really means by living for God. All of these practices that we're talking about with second nature, giving and fasting and praying, all of these things are routines of worship. And a lot of times we want to do things our own way. We want to keep our money. We want to spend things, uh, consumerism and, and all these other things. But worship is about saying, you know what? God, you have such a bigger plan for me. And I love the second part of this verse. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Some of you are asking, what's God's will for my life? And it begins with sacrificing yourself in worship. to say the day-by-day things. I'm going to do things God's way instead of my own. And that's kind of been my own journey. I'm not perfect at that. I'm still working through that. But I tell you what, when I am not doing things God's way, and I get up here on Sunday morning, I know it. Maybe some of you even see it some weeks. And so it's really important, especially as, a, as the worship pastor, that I really work this out, that I'm living worship in my day-to-day. So when I get up here Sunday, I'm just, I, this is the tip of the iceberg. I, I'm just sharing with you the benefit of what I've had all week. And so I hope that's kind of your thing, too. As you come here on Sunday morning, I'm hoping this is just the benefit of what God's already been doing in you all week long. I'm going to share with you a song um, here called Nothing Else. And uh, as I told you from the beginning, a lot of times worship was always about really what I was going to get from it. And as I mentioned, it's really about what Jesus already gave to us when he gave his whole self. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. You know, sometimes we get the sense of entitlement, like, oh, God, you haven't answered my prayer. Why won't you answer my prayer? I, I do good things. Don't you owe me something? That's not how it works. You know, God has already given you everything. And so this song reminds us, takes us back to the spirit of worship where it's really about us giving it all back to God. So I have the tremendous job of bringing all that together. Thank you both for all that you've shared. In order to help bring this into focus, I want to share with you, I want to introduce two friends of mine. Um, and for that, I need a little help. So... My illustration. Ready? So my first, first friend that I want to introduce you to is Numa, and the other one's Aletheia. Numa is uh, the kind of being that's, that's essence, it's presence, it's force. Uh, it's the kind of, kind of being you don't see, but you understand the effects that that being has. And then, and then Aletheia, Aletheia is, is the one that you do see, and, and, but you don't always recognize it. You just see it, and then you go, oh, oh, that's Aletheia. And, and so here's my illustration. Ready? We're going to see Numa and Aletheia at work. Ready? There you go. Aren't you impressed? That's so exciting. 
It's so exciting. But see, there's two, two aspects of Numa happening right now and two aspects of Aletheia. See, Numa, essence, there's, there's an electrical essence that's, that's generating power, and Aletheia is making the fan move. Get it? And then over here, you don't see in between, right? But you see Numa affecting, and then the page is representing Aletheia. So that's important because I need to be able to, to introduce you to those two friends because they help me get where we need to go to land the plane today. And, 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 and what I mean by that is uh, when Jesus goes up to Samaria and he runs into a woman at the well, uh, he's having this conversation with her about her whole life. And, and he's trying to help her understand, like, this is how you have a full life, a full life. And, and she did what most of us do. Like, when somebody comes and they try to actually get into your mess and help you, like, we, we like to side rail, right? We like to run off the trail. And so she does that. She engages in a theological discussion. She says, well, okay, so what about worship? Well, where do we worship? And, and who do we worship? And, how, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. If you look in John 4, his response back to her is, is, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain in Jer- or nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation's from the Jews. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, you don't see it there as obvious as I do, because Numa and Aletheia have nicknames. Numa's nickname is spirit. Aletheia's nickname is is truth. And what Jesus is trying to help this one woman understand is, is she needs those two friends. She needs Numa. She needs Aletheia. She needs spirit. She needs truth in order to experience everything that's been discussed up here and have that relationship with God where there is a vibrant life welling up constantly every day. No matter what the circumstances are, there's a vibrant life welling up inside of them. And see, one of the things we don't always recognize is that Aletheia always expresses Numa. Aletheia is action. Numa is attitude. And like Bill said with Romans 12, be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means in attitude and action. Always. Not just on Sundays. Attitude and action, that, that Numa and Aletheia are always at work in and through us. Now, you get the illustration now. Numa and Aletheia aren't actually people, but the Spirit of God and operating in unison with the Spirit of God and putting that into practice, putting that into action. And Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees with his disciples when they, when they come into the Jerusalem on, on, and they're celebrating that Jesus is the Messiah and they're like, will you tell your disciples to stop worshiping? Would you tell them to stop? And he's like, I'm telling you the truth. If I do that, the rocks are going to cry out. The rocks are going to cry out. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? If you look around you, we're so impressed with the things of man. Yet there's a mountain right behind us. It never says a word, yet its attitude and its action is always declaring the glory of the one who made it. The trees that surround this building, they never say a word, but their attitude 
and their actions are always speaking to the one who made them. And what Jesus exposes to the Pharisees at that moment is a challenge to us. We've been given voices. How can we let inanimate things, now I know trees are alive, but still, how can we let inanimate things be louder than us? Because surely if we are silent, all of creation will declare it in spite of us. And yet, we've been given the title of being God's crowning achievement in creation. The stewards of all this other stuff, our attitudes, our actions are always to be expressing the wonder and the glory of God. So we actually have something for you this morning to help you with this illustration. I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and start passing them out. But this is, this is my, other, my other visual aid this morning. So um, all of you will get one of these. It's, it's, it's nothing, you know, it's, it's a stone. So it's just a stone, you know. It's not real expensive. Uh, it's just a stone. So if you lose it, you know, we have more. We'll give you another one. But the, but the, the point is, we give you a stone, and we want, this, we want you to take everything you've heard this morning, everything you've experienced this morning, and begin to let God speak to your attitude and your actions at every moment. Put it in your pocket. Put it in a place where every day you feel it, you see it, you interact with it. You know, if it's in your pocket and you're walking along, you feel that thing thumping on your leg. It's a reminder. How's my attitude? How's my actions? If it's on your desk while you're working and, and your supervisor comes in and gives you a hard time or whatever, it's right there. It's right, and you're, you know, yes, you have a choice right there. Let this be a check for you on your attitude and your action. You'll notice on it it says worship. Okay, there's nothing special about the fact that there's a word on it. It's except that it says worship. And it's to be your reminder. But, but even the rock in and of itself is attitude and action. It's pneuma and aletheia. Did you get that? Because the rock was made by God. The rock was made by God. And just by its very existence, it cries out the representation and the worth of its creator. So my question to you is, who's going to be louder on a daily basis? You are the rock. You are the rock. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for all that was shared today. This was deep. This was deep. This was intense. And God, it's a check for all of our hearts. I thank you, Lord, for the grace to go where we needed to go today. And as we take this rock, we know it's, it's just a rock, but you made it. Be a reminder to us, Lord, that we are your crowning achievement. We are the ones you fashioned with your fingers and your hands. You didn't just speak us into existence. You got down and made us. Remind us, Lord, to always be louder than the rocks. And our attitudes and our actions always, always express you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And continuing in that moment, we're going to share in one more thing today. We're going to share in another aspect of worship, and that is called the Lord's Supper, communion, you might call it. It's sort of that horizontal. It's that coming together because if you look in, um, and I've got to look at my sheet because so much has gone through my head this morning that like, you know, 
yes, pastors forget references every now and then. So there you go. So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says this. When Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, he says, whenever you do this, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. And I always thought that was a morbid statement, like, whoa, he died. What he's actually saying is you are declaring he is the Savior. He is the one who redeems. He is the one who restores. And whenever you do this, this is part of the voice you've been given to express that, yes, I believe this. Yes, this is what God has done. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. So we're going to give you this time to sort of make your way out by rows and just get the, get the bread in the cup. You can, you, can keep, you can start going. Go ahead. Start getting them going while I'm I'm filling here. And I'm going to say this, you know, in a few, in, in, in another couple weeks, we're going to actually share in the full meal that Jesus had with his disciples. We're going to put all those pieces together. So if you're coming to that, you're going to see even more so how this meal declares who God is, that God put a meal in the midst of history that people would celebrate year after year after year. And all of a sudden, one year, they're sitting down with Jesus. And the full meaning of that meal exploded into the room as he sat there and he took the pieces of the meal that we now use today. And he says, folks, this is me. This is me. As you make your way back to your seats, after you've gotten the elements, take a moment. Because also in 1 Corinthians it says, when we come to this moment, when we, when we come to declare God's worth and his value, just like Bill said, we, we need to have our attitude in the right place. And Paul encourages us, examine yourself. Don't come to the table unworthy, but take a moment and say, Lord, if there's anything that I've been doing against you, or I've been working against you, or my attitude, my actions have been out of sync with you, God, forgive me. God, if there's any place where my attitude and my actions are, are against someone else, God, forgive me. Wash me clean. Let the, let the sacrifice of Jesus, his sacrifice of worship to you, the sacrifice of worship for us, Cleanse that so that I may worship you in this act. Let's take a moment. Give that to God. If it is against somebody else, I know they're not, they may not be here right now. You may not be able to resolve that. But resolve it now with the Lord and then go and call them or talk to them later today. Resolve it. And go in the grace that the Lord gives you to do.
God, we celebrate, even in taking this, this bread, that you have sacrificed yourself for us. And we declare in your name that you are our reward. You are our satisfaction for all the places we find ourselves unsatisfied. Thank you, Lord. When he was done, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins. we thank you for your forgiveness for everything it allows us to stand before you it allows us to even consider our action and our attitude thank you for the grace of breath and life spirit and truth God we yield ourselves to you today and as we declare this, even in this time together, let us continue to declare it in our attitude and our actions as we go from this place.